Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Hey man, if you are a parent or have been a parent, well I guess if you've been a parent, you are a parent still. Uh, then you know this phrase, this statement is absolutely true. I would rather negotiate with a terrorist than with a toddler. Right? Because at least with a terrorist, you can either successfully negotiate or they will kill you. With a toddler, there is just a slow, painful, drawn-out death. Because a toddler doesn't negotiate. A toddler does not understand the need for compromise. A toddler is a toddler for a reason. They only see themselves. And the ultimate battle with a toddler is what? Control. Have you ever said or have you ever heard it said, you're not the boss of me? (laughs) How many of y'all have ever said that? Be honest, huh? How many of you have ever heard that said to you? My oldest daughter used to be the queen of that phrase. But she would put her hands on her, on, her, on her hips. She'd lean on out. She'd, you're not the boss of me. Oh, yes, I am. You don't know who you're dealing with, kid. You know, the truth is, the struggle as a toddler is the struggle that we have all of our lives, isn't it? The struggle for control. Who is going to be in control? Who is going to have the right to say what happens and what doesn't happen? And even people who don't outwardly seem like they need to be in control, there's still that internal struggle. And sometimes people who don't feel like they're in control of anything, they will do things in their own life simply so that they can have control of something. That's where a lot of addictions or that's where a lot of uh, uh, illnesses can come from, not illness, but that's where a lot of, of, of issues can come from. The need to be in control of something. But I want to tell you that that is a human struggle that's in the heart of every person, but there is an answer for it. And the answer overall is this. You are in control until you relinquish control. And when you relinquish control to the right person, life changes. So Peter was asked in John chapter, or actually the disciples were asked in John, um, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus was walking with his disciples and he was looking at them and, and especially Peter because Peter's the one that speaks up. But, but Jesus asked this question. He says, so who do the people say that I am? I imagine he, he stopped on the road. He just kind of folded his hands and he just goes, hey, hey guys, uh, who do the people say that I am? You know, what are you hearing? What's the, what's the word on the street about me? And the disciples answered, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah. Some people even say Jeremiah. There's all kinds of theories. People just kind of think mostly you're, you're a prophet, I guess. And I imagine that in that moment, Jesus would have kind of let there be this pregnant pause, this awkward silence, this waiting before he asked them directly, well, who do you say that I am? And, 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 I, and I, I would think that, that there would be this awkward silence on the disciples' part going, uh, pretty big question. But then Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, you are correct, 
But you didn't find this out on your own wisdom and on your own understanding. You know this to be true because God has revealed it to you. And so what happened there was the, the confrontation with, with the disciples that has to happen with every one of us, which is what I hope to do for you today. I want to confront you with the question that the disciples were questioned with. You know what other people say about Jesus. There's all kinds of things that they say about him. By the way, is there anybody in the history of the world who has more press, more influence, and more, uh, more times his name being said than Jesus? There's nobody. He truly was the one who split time in half. We know A.D. and B.C. based on the birth of Christ. He has changed so many things about the world that we can't even count them all. And he was making changes even before he even came. Think about that one for a little while. But the question that I'm asking you today is this. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say Jesus is? And there ultimately can be one of three roads you can take on this. You can take the road all the way to this side, which says, I don't really acknowledge Jesus. I don't, I don't really want to have anything to do with him. He's, he's not really somebody that I care to put any faith in or belief in. In fact, he's pretty much dead to me. You can take a middle road, which says, you know what? I think Jesus was a good guy. I like what he did. I like what he stood for. I like what he spoke. I like, like, I like the way he makes me feel sometimes. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to acknowledge that Jesus is, is who he was, except for I'm going to kind of stay at a distance. In fact, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to call on Jesus when I need him. But other than that, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. Oh, of course I love Jesus. I mean, who, who doesn't love Jesus? Then on the other side, the third road is the road that I believe the Bible's calling us to take. It's the road that I certainly want to be on and I, and I think I'm on and I'm hoping that you'll be on as well. This road over here is a little more, more radical. It's a little bit more extreme. Whereas over here is, I don't acknowledge Jesus in my life at all. The middle road is, I acknowledge Jesus in my life. He is a part of my life to some degree or another. And this side is, he's not a part of my life. He is my life. Colossians 3 tells us that you have died. He's speaking to the Colossians, to the believers, saying you have died and your life is now hidden in Christ with God. In other words, I no longer live for me, but I am surrendered and sold out, and I, am, I, I belong completely to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, there used to be a debate in church world. You may or may not remember this, but it was a debate of the lordship of Christ in, in, in terms of can, if Jesus is not lord of all, can he be lord at all? It's the wrestling with if you say you love God, but you don't act like it, well, do you really love God? And that, that's a real struggle. I mean, it's actually a biblical struggle. So what I want to do this morning is this. I want to break down these three roads. And I want to see what they look like. And then at the end of today, I want to ask you to choose a road because the reality is even if you don't choose, you've already chosen. And I want to say to you that out of these three roads, there's really only one road worth choosing. It is not the most painful road. It is not the most difficult road. And it is not the scariest road because... These other two roads are far more dangerous than choosing to totally surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, let me break that word down for just a moment. We don't really use Lord much anymore. 
I mean, that's not part of our regular vocabulary because we're not English. It used to be. Not anymore. They had lords and, and kings and all those kinds of things. We don't really get that word anymore. But lord means owner, master, boss, completely in charge. You're not the boss of me. Yes, I am. All right, so let's move over to this side real quick, okay? This is the, by the way, today's message has changed titles like 10 different times. And the reason that happens is I asked God, I said, Lord, what do your people want to hear? What do they need to hear? Not what they want to hear. What do they need to hear? What, what's going to be good for their soul? What's going to move them in their relationship with you? And, and I started over here, and, and as, I, as I prayed about it, and as I thought about it, and as I looked at the scripture, it just kind of kept changing over and over and over. And, and what I came to today is this is the culmination of everything I've been teaching for the last six months. All of these verses, for the most part, you've heard before. This is a reminder. This is one of those, okay, this is the bottom line of what God wants for you. The side over here, the road over here that says, who is Jesus? He's just a person. He's just a man. There's a lot of room over here. In fact, it's a very wide road. The Bible says that narrow is the way that leads to life, but broad is the road that leads to destruction. This road over here is a very broad road because you have on the one extreme... I just don't believe in anything. I don't believe in God, a God. I just, I'm, 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 I'm faithless completely. There are a lot of people in the world today that are like that. Zero faith. Or they'll say I'm agnostic. Agnostic, the original word for that is ignorant. I don't mean that pejoratively, but to be ignorant of something means I don't know. That's actually more honest than, agnostic, than, than atheist. Because to be an atheist, you actually have to be God yourself. Think about it. To be atheist is to be absolutely certain that there is no God. The only way to be absolutely certain that there is no God is to be in every place at every time or at every place at one moment in time to be able to search and, ex and explore where is God. And if you can do that, you're God yourself. Right? Did y'all follow that? So atheist, I don't, even, I don't even know how you can be that, but to be agnostic, you can be that. I just don't know. But in my not knowing, I'm still not going to acknowledge Jesus. So you've got way on that side, and then you've got the people who say, I'm not an agnostic. I believe there is a God, but I just believe that it's a different God. And we've got a multitude of religions that say, we are the way to God. The Hindus actually would, would give liberty to have whatever God you wish. Over two million gods. If you go to India today, you'll see gods all over the city. I, I, you've been there. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? On every street corner, there's a shrine to a different God. If you go in October, they actually have parades through the streets where each God is celebrated. And then they take their floats that they, that they parade through the street and they throw it into the lake. And then somebody got smart and go, hey, guess what? We're totally ruining our lake. But if we fish these out and rebuild them, we can sell them to them again. No joke. Seriously. So... Not only can you say there is no God, but you can say there is God, but Jesus is not He. Here's the problem with that. In John chapter 5, we looked at this last week. In John chapter 5, the scripture tells us who Jesus is and what knowing Jesus means. John chapter 5 verse 10 says this, Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. That... Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, has made God out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his son. In other words, 
To not believe what God has said about his son means that you're calling God a liar because you're saying what you said is not true. Okay? The next verse, verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Now, just question, is there any doubt about what that verse is saying? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Is there any room for questioning whether or not that actually means what it means? Now, you can question whether or not it's true, but you really can't, can't question the meaning. It's, it's, it's binary, black or white, yes or no. You have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. But let me, let me show you what some other passages of Scripture see. In... First uh, Timothy 2.5 says there's only one God and there's only one mediator between God and man. The mediator is Christ Jesus. So again, very clearly, the scripture says there's one God and there's one way that man can find God. That one way is Jesus. And then listen to the words Jesus said himself in John 14.6. He said, I, speaking of himself, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And then he added this last piece. No one comes to the Father but through or by me. Now, is there any question about what that means? Now, you can question whether or not it's true, but can you question whether what it actually means? No, I mean, and that's just three passages of Scripture that basically say there is an exclusivity to the gospel. So there are not many paths that lead to God. Now, this is not something that, is, that, is, that, that people want to hear today. We want to hear, oh, there's many ways. Just choose your own path and go that way. If you believe that, that's fine. But I need to tell you that that is actually, that is totally against what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear that Jesus is the source of life and that no one comes to the Father but through him. Jesus also said these other things. He said, I'm the way, I'm the gate, I'm the door. I mean, he was basically saying, I am the one who you must go through to get to the Father. In fact, he even went a step further. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was not just claiming to be a way to the Father, but he was claiming to be the Son of God. Deity, God made flesh. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him all things were made. Things were made by him, through him, and for him. And in him all things, that's not John, but in him all things are held together, right? And so you have this, this, this claim of the Scripture that says... You can deny Jesus if you like. That is a right that you have as a human being. But to deny Jesus is to ultimately call upon the results of denying Jesus. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish. In other words, God desires for you to be saved, for you to know Him, for you to have a relationship. But if you choose to say to God, God... I do not want this Jesus. Then you have to also accept what the rest of the scripture says. That anyone whose name is not found in the Lamb's book of life. 
he will be cast into the lake of fire. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't start talking about that. Look, don't shoot the messenger. That actually was the first title of my message. Don't shoot the messenger. And the re- where that came from, I was initially starting with the thought of, listen, everybody wants to hear good news, right? I mean, we want to hear good news about the virus. We want to hear good news about the economy. We want to hear all this good news. Nobody wants to hear bad news. And especially bad news about who God is. We don't want to hear that God is a just God. We want to hear that He loves you just like you are. He does. He absolutely does. He loves you exactly like you are. His love is not dependent upon your behavior, and His love is not dependent upon whether or not you love Him back. He loves you because He loves you because He loves you, and you can't change that. But just because He loves you does not mean that He is an unjust God. And it doesn't mean that He's a liar. Because after all, if God says there's only one way to the Father then we make him out to be a liar if he says, okay, I'll just let you in. If you can't trust God on one thing, you can't trust him on anything, right? Because the very nature of who he is, the very fact that everything that he says is true based on everything that we've seen, that, that, that holds up and supports the fact that we can trust him with our life. And so the bad news is this. If you reject Jesus Christ, the excuse doesn't matter. But at one day, or at some point, you will stand before God and He will give you what you've asked for. If on this earth you say, I do not want Jesus, then one day you will give account for your own sin. And when you stand before God, he is going to say to you, what have you done with my son? Well, I've rejected him. Well, my son is the only way to me. You say, wait, where did he say that? He's going to say, well, remember that day back in January 2021? Now, you knew this before, but I just made it ultra clear at that moment. I'm not, I'm not trying to be silly, but I I'm, but I'm just want to tell you that, that in this day that we live, we can't afford to not tell the truth. And look, it's not my truth. It's what the Bible says. And you say, well, wait, how do we trust the Bible more than all those other religious books? I mean, what makes Jesus more truthful than Muhammad? Or what makes Jesus more truthful than Joseph Smith? What makes Jesus more truthful than uh, uh, any of the Hindu gods that they worship today? Why should Jesus, how can you say you found the one when there's millions out there that are possibilities? Well, I have an answer for that. Thank you for asking. Here's my test. Whichever one of these prophets of God, and we know Jesus was more than a prophet, but that's what they said he was, so we'll say prophet, right? Which, which, whichever one of these prophets can die, be buried, and then come back to life. That's the one I'm believing. Amen? So who did it? Joseph is still in the grave. Muhammad? He's still dead. You can go back and you can find the bones if you could, if you could dig far enough. But there's one set of bones you will not find. 
That's Jesus. See, the very fact that Jesus Christ defeated hell, death, and the, or defeated death in the grave, by its very nature gives him the authority to say what is real and what is not. Think about it. There's nothing more powerful than death. You and I can do a lot of things in life, but we cannot cheat death. It's coming for you just like it's coming for me. We might get 100 years, we might get 110 years, we might get 20 years, but at some point, we're going to cash our last check. We're going to push our last button. We're going to take one more breath, and we will be gone. Our body will have no more life in it. I did two funerals this week. One was 95 and one was 80, I don't know, 85 or so. That's a long time to live. The 95-year-old Al Godry, good, good man. Some of his last words were, I'm so tired. I'm just ready to go home. After 95 years, he earned a trip. Let me tell you. But the fact is, Anybody who rises from the dead, oh, by the way, it gets even better. He didn't just rise from the dead. It wasn't just like, well, how did that happen? No, before he ever died, he said, listen, the Son of Man is going to be uh, tried and crucified, dead and buried, but I'm going to rise from the dead. And he didn't just say he's going to rise again. He actually gave a timetable. He said, look, in three days, when I die, I want you to set your clock, and I want you to push start. And after three days, you come and look for me, and you're not going to find me. The tomb will be empty. And just like he said, that's what happened. So, how can we trust that Jesus is the way to the Father? Because he's the only one who's not still dead. You say, well, I can't believe that. Well, that's a whole other time of conversation. But here's the deal. You don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then, then you, you are denying the, the greatest event in history. Not only that, but, but, but you're saying that this hoax has been carried on for 2,000 years and nobody's yet been able to prove it and figure it out. Think about that. Of all the evidence for the resurrection, there was more than enough, there were more than enough people who wanted to disprove that it happened in that moment and, in, and even today. You simply can't do it. So either Jesus is who he said he is or he's not. Well, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I'm the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through me. So that's this road over here. Most of us probably aren't there, but maybe, maybe we are. Maybe somebody is. Maybe some of us are. But most of us probably, I guess, maybe. But then you have this middle road. This to me is actually the scariest road. Because the middle road is the road that says, I acknowledge Jesus, I love Jesus, I just don't love him that much. It would be like me saying to my wife, honey, I want to be married to you, but I really don't want us to have to have that like hardcore commitment thing. I mean, so if you don't mind, I just want to go wherever I want to go. And, you know, so if I'm at home tonight, that's cool. But if I want to just kind of stay somewhere else, I'm just going to do that. And you know, even though we're married, and even though I love you, you need to understand my money is my money. I mean, if I'm going to buy it, I'm going to buy it. I mean, you can give your opinion, but at the end of the day, if I want it, it's mine. How many of you think a marriage like that's going to work very well? 
Some of y'all are like, well, I won't even go there. At some point, we might have said, I'm in that marriage, right? I mean, I mean, the reality is that a lot of marriages are like that. You can't be married that way. That, that's not what a marriage is. You know what a marriage is? What's hers is, or what's mine is hers, and what's hers is hers. No, not really, just kidding. Just kidding, I joke. What marriage is, is what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. I'm accountable to you. I'm not going to go sleep somewhere else tonight without you knowing where I am. In fact, I'm going to run this by you long before I even do it. The other day, uh, well, actually, just, just all the time, I find myself, the person I talk to the most every single day is my wife. Do you find yourself doing that if you have a wife, right? I, I never have the opportunity to not check in with her. Not because I'm like, hey, am I okay to do this? No, it's because I love her. We have a relationship. That's what being married is all about. But we think that somehow we can have a, a loose relationship with Jesus and it's okay. We think that somehow we can live our own life just keeping Jesus on standby and it's okay. In the words of a good friend of mine, homie, don't play that. Okay, that's not really a good friend, but, <laughs> but he did say it. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is not your backup plan. He's not just one quiver in your, or, or one arrow in your quiver. He's not just one bullet in your gun to, to, for my hunting uh, uh, language. That's the way I think. He, he's not just to spare something. That's not who he is. I mean, think about it. Just think of the insanity of thinking that way. The, one, the only one who's ever been crucified, buried, and then rose from the dead like he said, when he said, I'm going to use him as a backup. That would be like having Drew Brees as third string, just in case. Okay, maybe that doesn't work this year, but last year it definitely works. That'd be like having Tom Brady as a consultant to the new guys, right? Think about it. You don't ever do that. What you would do is say, you know what? I'm not going to keep Jesus at a distance. I'm not going to keep him as a backup. I'm going to be all in. I'm going to say to Jesus, you have the key and the access to every crack and crevice of my heart. The reason we don't do this road, a lot of it is because we don't want to give up control. Why do we not want to give up control? Because we're afraid. If I said yes fully to Jesus, he might send me to Africa. Well, my friend over here just went to Africa. He paid a bunch of money to go there. It was awesome. I want to go to Africa. Oh, please send me to Africa, right? But see, what we're thinking is this. He might send me to Africa to a tribe and I have to eat bugs and and that's just, I don't want, wait a minute. Is that really what you think of God? Do you really think that God's ultimate desire is to make your life miserable? How many of you are parents? Let me see your hands. Okay. Have you ever said at any point in your life, you know what I really want? I want my son to be absolutely miserable. Okay, I'm not talking like momentarily said that. We've all said that. We, we, we've all been there. I mean, <clears throat> right? We've all had moments of that. 
But has that ever been the deepest desire of your heart? I want my children to fail. I want my children to hurt. I want my children to, I want their life to be chaotic. That's insanity. Every one of you in this room who's a parent, you're a good parent. Because I know everybody in this room, at least to a degree, and I know that you love your children. And I know that what you want for your kids is for, are for your children to become responsible, mature human beings. And you want them to be successful, and you want them to be happy. That's what you want for them. Why would we assume that we're better parents than God? Lord, I'm not going to give you everything in my life because if I give you everything, you're just going to screw my life up. Just listen to that. Let those words ring in your head. Why would you think that God is that way? Or, Lord, if I, if I give you my life, then you're going to tell me to do something that I don't want to do. I tell my kids to do stuff all the time they don't want to do. So do you. Right? Why? Because you don't love them? No, because you do love them. Because the very fact that you love them means that sometimes they're going to need to go and do things that they don't want to do because in that doing, it builds them as humans and it makes them better people. Sometimes surrender to Jesus does mean that he's going to tell you to do something you don't want to do. But every time you obey, looking back, you go, man, you were right. One of the sweetest sounds to my ears is when my daughters call me and say, Dad, you were right. And one day my son is going to learn to say that too. <laughs> one day. Because there was a day that I said that to my dad. I can't tell you how joyful it is to hear one of my daughters, because they're, they're not at the house, so it's, it's a, there's a little distance. Dad, remember when you did this and I hated it? I'm so glad you did. Why? Because I loved you. Because when you trusted me, you let me help you become the person that you were created to be. So here's the thing. The most dangerous road for you and I to take is this middle road. Here's why. Because this middle road, to say that we love God but our life not look like we love God, means that we may actually love God and we're just having a struggle, or it may mean that we're simply saying something that is not really true. And the way you know the Father is through the Son. And so if I simply say I love God but I don't really love God, if I don't really know Jesus, then one day I'm going to stand before Him and I'm going to say to Him, I'm here, and He's going to say, I'm sorry. But you were living a lie your entire life. Wait a minute. That's what happened when, when in the story where Jesus said, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and did we not do that? In other words, they were religious, but they didn't have a relationship. They said they loved God, but it, was not it, it did not come from here. It came from here. The dangerous road for us is right here for you and for me because it can be so deceptive. Listen, God is not mocked. He cannot be played. You can play yourself, you can fool yourself, but you can't fool God. He sees even the darkest, deepest secrets of our heart. 
The Bible says the heart is deceptive above all else. In other words, I can believe something so so, so much that I can convince myself that, the, that, that a lie is the truth. We see that in politics all the time, right? It's true. You can do that. If you repeat a lie enough times, eventually that lie becomes what people think are the, is the truth. You can do that to your own heart and so can I. This road is a very dangerous road. Very dangerous. Here's the thing. I cannot tell you if you are born again and know God or you're not born again and don't know God if you're on this road. I can't tell you because I'm not the judge or the, 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 the mediator of your heart. Only God is. The sad thing is, if you stay on this road, you won't find out until you stand before the Father. When you stand before the Father, that's the, that, that you have no more choice at that moment. Once you, once you step into eternity, everything you've done, it's almost like it's solidified. And that is what you're living the rest of your eternity on. You have no choice at that point. But while you're here... You can look at your life and say, you know what? I'm on this middle road. Now, you, I might be over here, or I might be over here just along the edge. But where God wants you, where God wants me, is to step across the line and travel this narrow road. This narrow road is the way that leads to life. This narrow road is the road of the lordship of Christ. It's the road of surrender. It's the road where you say, I am done trying to figure this out on my own. I am done trying to cut my own path. I'm done trying to make my own way. I'm done trying to make decisions that I am not qualified to make. And so, Lord, I give you the keys to the access of my heart. Meaning, I give you the right to lead me. I'm not, I said it the other day, the other week, I'm not just getting out of the driver's seat into the passenger seat where I can tell you how to drive. I'm getting in the back of the truck, like in the bed of the truck. I can talk all I want, but all you're seeing is my mouth moving. You can't hear me. You're just looking at me in the mirror. And I'm going to trust you that where you take me is exactly where you want to go and where you want me to be. Here's, here's some passages. Jesus said in uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I preached on this a couple weeks ago. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Right? I mean, that, that's what this road is. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart and lean sometimes on your own. No. This road doesn't exist in that verse. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean in your own understandings at all, but in all of your ways acknowledge Him. And what? Here's the promise. He will direct your paths. God is not a liar. If he said it, he's going to do it. So if we trust in the Lord with all of our heart, holding nothing back, then we can know that God is going to drive well. Now, just a little caveat here. When I say God will drive well, yes, but he's a good driver. But sometimes he has to drive roads that scare us. But you can know that he's never going off the cliff. And sometimes I think he drives a little faster just to give it a little fun. Now, how many of you like to drive fast? Be honest. Yeah, I figured most of you, most of you who raised your hand, I figured, and some of y'all are just liars because you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> you, you, the reason I drive a truck partly is, is utilitarian, partly is, is to keep me safe. 
Because one time I borrowed a Hibusa. See, I had a cruiser. Cruiser, you can sit back like this. But when I sat in like this, <laughs> I, wrote, I was like, you better take this back. Go freeze. <laughs> Just real quick. One time I borrowed a, a friend of mine's uh, Mustang. Never driven one before. I think at the time it was like a 2011. We were doing a prom thing here at the church and I needed a cool car to pull people back and forth. My friend said, hey man, you can borrow my Mustang. I, okay, sure. Ooh, pick me. He delivered it to me and the moment, it, I mean, it had pipes on it. What I realized going through Naval Live Oaks, I better never own this car. Because 75 feels really good. Really good. But it's not a good idea in Naval Live Oaks. Not a good idea at all. I'm trying to remember why I was telling you that. It actually had a point. Hang on a second. I, see, I just got lost in the moment. I was enjoying the moment of... Yes, 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 yes. Sometimes God likes to go fast so that you can enjoy the ride. You know, here, here's the truth of the matter. To trust in the Lord with all your heart means that you let God drive how and when and where He wants. Sometimes He drives like granny. Y'all can testify to this, right? Sometimes He's like, ah, will we ever get there? Just by curiosity. How many of y'all are in that stage of right now with God? Yeah? Yeah? You're like, all right, Lord. Let's put some pep in your step. I ain't Miss Daisy. Come on, let's go. And then sometimes you just got to hold on and you're like, whoa. I mean, there are times because you've trusted God that you're looking and going, I'm not believing this. I am not, but I just got to do that. Wow. I mean, you just want to, you scream and act like a fool, but you know people are watching, so you don't. I mean, it's, it's the coolest thing ever. Man, I wish I had time to tell you the places that God has brought me. The places that I've been able to go and the things that I've been able to do only because Jesus is Lord. I look back and I go, man, I could die today and I've lived a hundred lifetimes. It has been so fun. And it's also been really hard at times. See, that's the other thing. When he drives, when you, when you jump out of the front seat and you get in the back, when you trust in the Lord with all your heart, it also means that you trust him even with the things that hurt and even with the things that don't understand. Because when you trust Jesus, when he is Lord, he says to you, I want to form you into the man or the woman that I created you to be. And what I created you to be, most of all, is in relationship with me, your father, and I created you to be a testimony of my own grace. And you see, when we love Jesus with a, with a surrendered heart, our response to those words is different than when we love Jesus with a kind of heart. When, you, when, when those things come, when you're on the big, the big road here in the middle, you're like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't think I signed up for that. 
When you're over on this road, the narrow road, and Jesus said, hey, I'm about to bring you through some hard times, you go, Lord, I'm really, really not excited about that, except that I know your promises are true, and I know that what you will do will be for your glory, and you will glorify yourself through me, so let's do it. I tell people, and it's true, I don't give blood, they take it. In other words, I do not like needles. Anybody else not like needles? No, no joke, when I have to go get a needle into my body for some shot or something, almost the entire nursing staff comes to watch. It is really, a, I, I suddenly become a toddler that is inconsolable and totally irrational. I do. And I, I just, I'm man enough to admit to you, I, if you're going to give me a shot, I want you to hit me in the nose, you know, knock me out, give me gat, whatever. When I went to, when I go to the dentist... Oh, there's stories, aren't there? There really are stories. It's, when I go to the dentist, I, I had to have some tooth work. I had to have some tooth work. I was like, hook me up. Before you do anything, boom. I've got a picture. I look like Alf, actually. It's kind of funny. By the way, music is so good when you listen to it and that stuff's going in you. It, it, it is, oh my gosh. Give me just a minute if I can. I don't mean to be unholy, but the 80s rock, when you've got this gat, this laughing gas stuff, I, 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 remember, I remember being in the chair, and I was like jamming, like the whole chair is moving, <laughs> and the dentist is, he, he's going, you got to be still, dude, you got to be still. I mean, it was, it was awesome. I do that because I didn't want pain. But you know what? If one of my family members or if one of you needed my blood to live, I would say, okay, stick me. I would say, I'll, I'll, I'll take the pain if it'll give you life. I don't want it. I'm not asking for it. I'm going to search for another way. But go ahead. It's exactly the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. He said, Lord, take this cup from me if it's possible. Take this away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. You've heard of the phrase, the passion of the Christ. The word passion means suffering. The suffering of Christ. He endured all of the shame and all of the guilt and all of the pain. It would be crazy to think that Jesus did not experience excruciating pain on, on the cross and on the way to the cross, he was given 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. That was a whip that was specifically built by the Romans with chips of bone and pieces of metal inside the nine different leather straps connected to the handle. And it was built as a torture device so that when they wrapped it around your back, it would come in and grab your stomach and just rip flesh off. That is a gruesome, awful, awful picture. But Jesus would have literally been tied to a post and bent over, and they would have ripped him from the back of, from the bottom of his feet all the way up to the base of his skull. And literally, his flesh would have been ripped apart, dangling from him. I want you to get the picture. Jesus wasn't wanting to suffer, but he had to suffer because he was the mediator between God and you. Without Jesus Christ suffering, you and I could not have a relationship with God. 
And the Bible says that it pleased God to crush him. Because in his crushing, you and I were given life. And so when Jesus prayed, Father, not my will but yours be done, he had in his mind, he must have had in his mind an understanding of the steps that he was about to walk. And yet he walked them willingly. And these are the words he said. He said, I do what my Father calls me to do. There was a total surrender, a total yielding. And through his suffering, it brought glory to the Father. And you and I have a way to God because of it. So when God sometimes goes slow or sometimes goes fast or sometimes says, look, this next part of the trip is going to be tough. But I don't want you to forget my promise. I will be with you to the very end of the age. In these deepest, darkest times that you're about to go through, I want you to know that I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you. And in fact, I'm going to be more real to you in the next few moments of your life than you've ever experienced me before. And I want you to trust me. And when you don't think you can go any farther, I want you just to look at me and I want you to hear me say, I love you and I've not abandoned you. I am your God. And then I'm going to pull you through the fire and on the other side, you're going to see how it makes a little more sense. So, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Shema, every Jewish person would know this verse, says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. All. It's an all-in kind of thing. Colossians 3 again, your life, you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. See, there's, those are just three verses out of hundreds that would say that the Lordship of Christ is what he's after. John chapter 14, he says, I've come that you might have life and have it most abundantly. Do you want to know why living in control of your own life doesn't work? Because you are like the toddler. You don't know what you don't know. You will make a mess of your life every single time. Now you can do some things right, but even in the rightness that you get, you're still going to miss the point. You want to know what it means to surrender your life to Jesus? It means that you say to God, okay God, here, I'm emptying my pockets. I want, you to, I want you to have it all. And I'm not going to do it, but it means you take your shoes off, you take your, I mean, you, you basically stand before him bare. And you say, God, here am I. And you know what the enemy will want to do at this moment? The enemy, the devil's going to want to go, yeah, but do you, do you see that scar? And do you see that? And do you remember that? And, and I just, I just, I like to make pictures in my mind of how it would happen. I, and I just kind of figure that when you, I kind of think of myself, when you do this to, to, to Jesus and the enemy starts to accuse you, by the way, that's one of his names, the accuser of the brethren. He's going to remind you of the suffering. He's going to remind you of the addiction. He's going to remind you of the failure. He's going to remind the, you of the hypocrisy and all those things. I, I, I just, in that moment, Jesus steps in and goes, whoa, he's mine. 
She's mine. Yeah, she used to be. But she's in me and she's new. Those scars, nothing more than a testimony of my goodness in his life. He doesn't wear those scars with shame. He wears those scars with humility, knowing that I rescued him from the fire. I rescued her when she was unrescuable. Nobody wanted him, but I did. I chose, I decided that they would be mine, and they are. That's what the Lordship of Christ Jesus means. See, we look at it from the perspective of what's it going to cost me? Well, let me just tell you what Jesus said. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. That's the cost. But what you pay is nothing compared to what you gain. Can I just list them out real quick? You lose control, and control is turned over to the Creator. You lose indecision, and you gain clarity. You lose chaos, and you gain purpose. People say to me, well, how, do you, how come you're excited? How come you? Because I have purpose. I have a reason to live. And it's not money, and it's not stuff, and it's not places. My reason to live is the glory of Jesus Christ. And guess what? The glory of Jesus Christ allows me to do some of this other really great stuff. How could I say no? The less of me there is, the more of he there is. I must become smaller. He must become greater. That's what John the Baptist said. And when that happens, life becomes rich. I believe I'm the richest man on the planet. I really do. And I'm not talking about money. I pray you're the richest man on the planet. Rich in suffering. Rich in grace. Rich in mercy. Rich in love. Rich in hope. Rich in goodness. Rich in kindness. All of these things that come when the Lordship of Jesus Christ is a reality in your life. I know I've got to shut up right now, but I'm, I, I just, I'm so excited. I really am. I just wish there's somehow to just kind of like help you understand. I know, I know many of you do, but I just wish you knew that, that when you surrender to Jesus completely, man, something in life, not something, everything in life changes. I've never met a man or a woman who said, I really wish I would not have given my life to Jesus. Never, not one single time. I've met a lot of people who in later in the years in life, they have said, I wish I would have done this sooner. So, remember I said when we started, you, you're going to have to make a decision. Your decision is really simple. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want you to serve him too. Man, I want you to know the peace that passes all understanding. I want you to know that you don't have to fear what they fear. Has God not just been amazing in your life. 
I know. In your head, you were like, don't, don't, don't. And in my head, I was like, don't, don't, don't. I just can't help it. He is. Tara, could you imagine dealing with this stuff without Jesus Christ being Lord? How, how, it would be impossible. You would be at a hopeless place. And yet here you sit with joy on your face. Still don't have all the answers that you want or need. But you say, God, I trust you. That's amazing. Yes. All right. I'm really going to be quiet now. I want to invite you to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you're in this road right here, just, just take a step. Lord, I want you to be Lord. I know I'm not going to get it all right. I'm no, I know I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going to trust you. And, and here's how we're going to do this. When you speak, I will follow. You don't have to plan the next 10 years of life. You just need to, okay, when you speak, I will follow. And then hold on for the ride. Hold on. Now, I was honest, right? It's not going to be bed of roses. It's going to be hard. But you'll have the creator of the universe before you and behind you and beside you and above you and below you. That's what that Hebrew blessing was all about. It was a promise from God. We you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? I want to invite you to a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've not ever trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, would you simply yield your heart to Him? Give Him control. Say, Jesus, the best that I know how, I acknowledge that I can't live on my own. And I acknowledge that, that you love me. You died for me. You hung on a cross for the payment of my sin. And I accept that. I believe that. Jesus, save me. <laughs> you know what you're getting. So here I am. I don't hide anything, God. This, this is me. And I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. And if you're here today and you're in that middle road, maybe you're born again and you've just been holding back, that's the road we want to be on. That's the road. That's the road. Father, I pray that as we uh, come to the last moments of our time together, Lord, I pray that the passion of your heart would be known today. God, I pray that there would be obedience to you Lord, these people in this room, Lord, you know the plans that you have for them. I pray that they would yield to you. Lord, I pray that I would yield to you in every area. In Jesus' name.